we need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. I'm Dave Debo. And I'm Thomas O'Neill White. After May 14th, how can we afford not to talk about race? About education, about segregation, about humanity. Since the dawn of this nation, racial violence has existed. The way we have designed our society has a big hand in what occurred in that Topps market. The suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. We need to make sure that we put more funding in our programs that help prevent gun violence and more money into art. We're gonna have some real healing. We've gotta have space to tell some uncomfortable truths. I'm host Thomas O'Neill White, and with me today to talk motherhood, faith, podcasting, and uplifting the Latinx community. I have Westside Promise Associate Director Talia Rodriguez with me. Talia, thank you for being here today. Thank you for inviting me. I'm really excited. You've got your hand in a lot of things right now. I don't I, I almost don't know where to begin, but here's a good starting point. Okay. Uh, Westside Promise. You are the associate director there. For those who don't know about it, uh, can you talk about its mission? Absolutely. So Westside Promise neighborhood, I liken to a long table. Essentially what it is, is a group of neighbors, right? And those are all different types of neighbors, corporate neighbors, and higher ed neighbors, neighbors like myself, individuals who come together to guide investment, activity, and service through the West Side. So I work in the Office of Civic and Community Engagement at SUNY Buffalo State College, and one of our responsibilities is to implement what's called the Anchor Mission. Have you ever heard of that? I have not. Can you tell us what that is? Um, absolutely. So the Anchor Mission is um, a commitment that SUNY has made um, and that many other higher eds have made to better understand their roles as neighbors and to use that information to better inform decisions going forward so that they can see positive change from the economic impact that they have, the physical environmental impact that they have. I sit on the sustainability committee at campus um, and also the impact of our social capital. So really understanding how do we leverage our students and our faculty to help the community um, improve the assets that are already there. And you are a West Sider, born and raised? Yes, sir. West Side. <laughs> you knew it was coming. I, <laughs> I have to. I <laughs> so improving the quality of life of the people you see every day is near and dear to your heart. Yeah, I think um, it's kind of like a narrative um, of twofold. So improving their lives by empowering them, right? And then also by drawing on the assets that I think are um, inherent in the infrastructure and the culture of the West Side. Like a lot of things I took for granted. Um, for example, I think one of the most wonderful, like beautiful things about Buffalo, which like reminds me of like a bigger city because my dad's from New York City, is like the um, the fountains, like where all the water comes out. Do you know what I'm talking about at Ralph Wilson? Mm -hmm. There are so many cities where that would be a huge attraction. And people don't think about that as an amazing resource for our kids. I bring my son down there all the time. And I was down there and I just think, okay, that's a resource that we need to highlight and an effort that the city makes to make sure that there's that literal live infrastructure for our kids over the summer. Are there any highlights like the fountain at Ralph Wilson Park that that you see as, hey, we, we should we should be talking about this more. We should be highlighting this more throughout the city. Yeah, I'm a super big dork, so you're going to hear it from me. I, everyone who's listening, um, I was at the School of Architecture and Planning for a semester, um, like park architecture, park infrastructure and investment and also um, landscaping, right? Like we have beautiful, beautiful parks. So really excited about that. Big up to Deja and Ralph Wilson and everything they've been doing um, to improve the asset that was already there. But again, I think of, you know, smaller cities, maybe places with less resource and how um, they might envy or how people come here and they love our parks. You know, those are things that I'm really proud of in the West Side. Needs of West Side residents. I said needs. You said something. I said up. opportunities. Opportunities. <laughs> opportunities. In the aftermath of 514, the spotlight has been on problems facing Buffalo's east side. Are the opportunities facing west side residents similar, different? What are you saying? Um, in almost in a way, I think that we divide the west side and the east side 
um, in our minds, and it's divided from an infrastructure perspective, right? But from a human populace perspective, it's not divided. So what we have is Westside schools that have many Eastside children in them, and that's an asset and a wonderful thing. So I think what we need to do is really look at where the nexus of activity is for our communities, right? And where we all meet where it's all a common ground, like school, for example, invest more resources in those places so that we can heal together. Um, you know, I have neighbors that are coming from genocide. I have neighbors that are coming from extreme violence, from refugee camps, you know, gender-based violence. They've been raped. Um, and those are real things that my neighbors carry with them. Those things are their lived experience. But one of the things that I think all of us need to do with, together to heal, right, no matter where that source of trauma comes from is to be able to identify it right and share it with people so that we can seek the resources that we need. When you say nexus, you you mentioned schools. Is that also like parks? Is that community centers? Is that uh, yeah. you know uh, you know boys and ba- girls clubs boys and, and girls clubs? Well, you said community centers. Yeah, Sorry, yeah, I'm yeah. talking over you. <laughs> um, other places too, and I think you know, like we're going to go in this direction are like places of food and places of commerce. So Broadway Market, Grant Street. Um, those places where we come together, but also in those places we're exchanging cultures, right? And like, I'm obsessed with Eastside restaurant culture because, <laughs> no, honestly, because everyone's like, oh, all the food is in the West End. I'm like, no, there have to be amazing restaurants in the East Side. So I think part of it is making um, a concerted effort to just say, I want to learn more about other parts of the city or other communities that I don't know about. You also have a column in the Latino Village newsletter. Um, you didn't wh- tell me you were going to ask me about that. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, well, um, what inspired you to start it? What What's the name of it, and what inspired you to start it? Okay, so this is a dream. I'm obsessed with NPR. I've been watching um, this channel since I was little, so to be here to talk about this is a privilege. Um, I write a column called Latina History, and it's basically inspired by just what we talked about, this um, desire to storytell and then to kind of collectively heal by, like, lifting up those assets. On uh, Social assets are people. So I started writing um, because my grandma, who was 97, passed away. Um, she marched with Martin Luther King, and she was born um, without the right to vote because women in Puerto Rico weren't given the right to vote until late until the 30s. She was actually 13 before women were given the right to vote. So she saw suffragists protest in Puerto Rico. She came to the United States in protest. And when she passed away, it was the middle of COVID. And I just felt so isolated. You know, I was in my home and I was so used to be a community organizer and to be surrounded by dynamic people. So as I saw the generation before me and the generation behind me kind of not understanding each other, or maybe lacking this shared ability to kind of communicate or storytell because I say in the column, Latinas are so busy. Like we do not have time, women of color, we do not have time. Like time is our number one asset. So being able to write in print is really cool. And the importance to highlight these individuals, who are you speaking to? Um, Who are you speaking with? Okay, I love this question. So um, just to kind of clarify, too. So the column is carried in the Buffalo Latino Village. It's also carried in Panorama Hispano News, La Ultima Hora, and CNY Latino, um, and CNYLatinoNewspaper.com. And that's in Binghamton, Albany, um, Syracuse. So who I try to talk to when I write, right, um, is like, like my inner child. I know that sounds so cliche. But also like women who don't have digital access, Right. Like women who have limited digital access or women who are socially or um, geographically isolated, because I think those papers, right, our identity specific papers often travel to the places where those women are. So like my dream is always writing for like a little girl on a farm. Mm, mm. Do you have a personal favorite interview or a highlight from that? That's a very good question. Um, I would say actually, ooh, it's so hard. It really, really is so hard. So can I can I answer that categorically? Sure. Okay, so I love to interview women of faith. Like, I love it because I think it's just so interesting. Um, I also love to interview student advocates because they have so much life. Um, I don't know that I have a favorite interview, but I've, I've written for three years every month. So I don't know how many that is, wow. but um, I'm working on an ebook. It's just been a privilege. It really has. Thank you for asking. You're welcome. You're listening to Buffalo What's Next. I'm Thomas O'Neill White here with 
Westside Promise Associate Director, talk, Dr. Talia Rodriguez. <laughs> I can call you doctor, right? You may, you may. <laughs> <laughs> you highlight Latinx people through print, but also on the airwaves with a podcast. Yeah, so I have a privilege of um, being able to be on XM Radio. I have um, a radio show um, on 716 Live, and I deliberately interview black and brown business people. Why? Because the conversations need to be had. We have so much energy of division sometimes, and sometimes that energy is coming outwardly. So I like to try to create neutral platforms where people feel comfortable and um, their culture can be affirmed. So culturally affirming media spaces. I'm coining that here. I like it. What what's the approach like with a podcast in comparison to the articles you write in Latino Village? Absolutely. So in the podcast, I want to hear your voice. I want to hear like the the emotion in your voice when you're talking about your first product, like that first thing that you sold or like your first sale, because it's so much different than when you hear someone's narrative in print. So um, I think it also gives people the ability to talk about where they're from. I've had Jamaicans. I've had Dominicanos. I've had people from all across the Caribbean. I've had uh, black Americans from the east side. And like it's an amazing thing to be able to let them talk about how those places inform them being a business people. A business and, person, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a it's a business oriented podcast then. Yes, sir. And you you touched on it just a bit, talking about faith. You are very much guided by your faith. Did that did that come at a, at an early age? Yeah, so I would say I'm half Pentecostal. My mom is like this Irish hippie, um, and my dad is um, Puerto Rican, and he comes from a very socially conservative family. I don't know if anybody knows um, God in Spanish. I would say he's a different guy. Dios. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, it did come very early because I struggled with my self-confidence, and I think that I got the message from church and the Bible that I was created perfectly in God's eyes. And I really had to hold on to that because I felt very insecure as a young person. How do you feel now? Um, more informed. As a mother, right, I feel very blessed. Um, but I think as a Christian, um, I like to pray in public. Like, I like to have people see me pray with my son because I think it encourages them. And also, like, in the West Side, we have we have people who have so many different faiths. So it's like, you got to talk about something because mm-hmm. everybody's got their thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> who are some of your influences? Who were some of your influences Should growing I say up? You? Oh, wait, no. In the, <laughs> in the media? Okay, go ahead. <laughs> who were some of your influences growing up? And uh, who are who are your influences now? I would say as a media person or as a journalist, um, as a political scientist, Barbara Walters. Why is that? Their posture, the male's posture when they were talking to Barbara Walters. I was like, oh, because in the West Side, right, a lot of communication is physical because a lot of people um, struggle with English. So for me as a young person, I'm watching Barbara Walters and I'm like, oh, they're posted up. Like, they're scared. Like, here comes Barbara, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, like, it's power. Right. And, like, I'm talking about, like, warlords. I'm like, oh, here she comes. <laughs> um, but as a Latina, right, I think, um, I don't know. I'm going to come back to that. But definitely Barbara Walters and definitely strong women, right, in Buffalo. All around me, my neighbors were all strong women, right? And I got that energy really early. So I think being a Buffalo feminist is, might be a little bit easier mm. <laughs> than in other places. And you also mentioned your son. Um, you love to highlight him on social media. Um, what has motherhood been like for you? Oh, it's been a complete blessing. I think that being able to guide someone is a privilege, right? Being able to guide someone that's of your own creation is almost like this existential experience. And I think that I had parents that, or I have parents that were very invested in um, developing my sense of inquiry. They encouraged me, ask a question. What do you think, right? What do you, we're in a real estate transaction. My mom's looking at me, I'm eight years old. She's like, so should we buy it? I'm like in front of the attorney, (laughs) right? So um, it's been a privilege. And I think also I try to be an example for other young women because it's so hard sometimes, I think, to express you want to be a Christian or you want to be a mother first because there's so much pressure to, you know, conform to being a, a businesswoman or being cold and stale and that being professional. 
right? Mm-hmm. So I just try to be authentic and um, also give him, an, so I was talking about this, I want him to have a digital identity that he could grow into, right? Ah, uh, yes. Ryan, have you ever seen Ryan? You don't have kids, so you have no idea what I'm talking about. I have no idea. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> For everybody who's watching, who everybody who has kids, they're like, I've spent hundreds of dollars on Ryan. Um, but yeah, it's like this family, they created a show on YouTube and he's a millionaire now. He's like eight years old. Wow. Yeah. So instilling entrepreneurialism. Entrepreneurialism. What else? Um, just like Buffalo hum- stuff, right? Buffalo stuff. Buffalo stuff, like, you know, shovel for your neighbor, mind your business. Try that food because you're going to learn a lot about the other parts of the world. Mm. <laughs> and I think also, too, um, and we're going to touch on this, I think hopefully, I don't know, um, linguistical appreciation. I want my son's ear to be trained to hear and recognize different languages. Now, in 14213, where he goes to school, it's one of the most linguistically diverse zip codes in New York State. We beat out Queens. Wow. Ha, 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 right? <laughs> There's like 40 plus languages. So I want him to know Karin or Karini or Somali or Arabic and to feel comfortable with those languages and, and maybe learn them, but at least feel comfortable. I think that's a strength in the, in the business world. You do a lot of work in the realm of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And food. And food. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I spoke with uh, DEI practitioner Kendra Brim on this subject, and I asked her if she was worried um, those words, diversity, equity, and inclusion, were becoming just corporatized buzzwords. How do you make sure this work continues to have an impact? I don't even think it's my responsibility. I think that, honestly, our community has expressed they're committed, right? Like, all parts of our community, we need to learn more about each other so that we can cooperate more. And so many people, I think, after um, after the tragedy, did some self-assessment and said, how can I be more present? Do you know what I mean? And more authentic. And mm-hmm. where are these spaces that I need to be in? Um, both digitally and physically, like instead of driving home so that my voice can be heard or just showing up at block club. You know what I mean? Like going to those places where you build community. Um, so I think that one of the other answers that I have for you too is um, I kind of like those words. Like I'm all about hashtags. I think people need reaffirmation because I don't speak English. <laughs> so like I need people to repeat things to me. Um, and I think that for some people, um, and I touch on this in my leadership program that we facilitate with the West A Promise neighborhood, some people need the language of equity. It's not intuitive. And I'm someone that is coming from a second uh, language home. So I think one of the things that is most powerful is when you give people the language to identify their feelings, good or bad, so that they can really fully cooperate or encourage them to express them themselves. I try to ask this question to all of my all of my guests. It's very broad okay. and feel free to answer it in any way as long uh, in as long a time as you want. Okay. I'm gonna give you the lawyer version. <laughs> no, no matter what, big we'll up be, to we'll you. Here all day. <laughs> SUNY Buffalo Law School. What does Buffalo need? From your point oh of my view. gosh, this is such an easy question. <laughs> I think Buffalo needs to be celebrated more. We are incredible. I have the means to move anywhere in the country, almost anywhere in the world. My family's lived in the West Side for over 100 years. I have a very place-based identity, but it's because this is a good place, right? It's a dynamic place. It's a place where innovation happens, where, you know, mon- like just... Mucha energia, right? So like for me, which isn't a lot of energy. um, For me, I think Buffalo just needs to be celebrated more. And I think it needs more spaces like this where like people can come and say, hey, I want to ask you a couple quick questions instead of wondering, right? And then being able to share that across so many communities. Um, You know, I was listening to some of your episodes and uh, some of the other episodes that people have done. And, you know, this uh, series that you've created, this space, this conversation is incredible. Oh, well, we, we definitely appreciate that um, with celebrating Buffalo. Is that is it that we as as the community in Buffalo need to celebrate ourselves more? Do we need do we need people outside of the region to recognize us? I think all of the above. I think sometimes people don't realize how large of an economic um, effect Buffalo has on other people outside of Buffalo. 
right? Mm-hmm. Like my, my, my mother's family is Sicilian and Irish. My Irish family is from North Collins and they're rural people, right? So I always think about our almost like economic, social, like uh, what do you call it when you drop something in the water and it ripples? Ripple oh, the ripple. Effect. Right. Ripple effect. Exactly. Yeah. So I think for me, part of it is bring those people in and saying we're one community, right? Like you come here, this is your nexus of business. This may be your nexus of of shopping, of higher ed, whatever. And like you're part of a, our community, but like how do we welcome you, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then also how do we communicate our strengths outside of Buffalo? Like I don't know how many people want to hear me talk about Frank Lloyd Wright and landscape architecture, but I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> and also, you know, the amazing systems that have been built around the parks and and Katie and Ralph Wilson and all the advocates, for example. Um, you know, those stories are told in very specific places, but people don't really understand how parks and public places that you know our city invests in are really places where agents of social change go. You're listening to Buffalo. What's next? Thomas O'Neill White here. Talking podcasting, DEI, motherhood, faith, and more with Westside Promise Associate Director, Dr. Talia Rodriguez. Talia, I wanna I wanna thank you for being here today. Don't even a- say that. I'm elated. I again I'm obsessed with NPR. It's an absolute privilege. Um and I was reading, I think what it's called, the current about the um diversity of staff. So I just want to say how incredible your contribution is and how excited I am to be interviewed by you. Thank you so much. To recognize Veterans Day and Native American Heritage Month, Buffalo, Toronto Public Media and the Buffalo History Museum invite you to a screening of the WNED PBS original production, The Warrior Tradition. A lot of people ask, why did you join the white man's war? This is our home. This has always been our home. And part of the commitment to protecting and defending your home led to military service. Join us on November 9th from 6 to 7.30 p.m. at the Buffalo History Museum for this special screening. Register at wned.org events. Watch the WNED PBS original production, The Adirondacks. We've come closer here to a, a working balance between the natural world and the human world than just about any place on Earth. The Adirondacks, now streaming on YouTube and the PBS video app. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. And welcome back to Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran. Our guest this morning, Tammy Simon-Balden, is with us. And we've got a lot to talk with, uh, Tammy, about uh, quite a story, one that intersects with a lot of uh, items that are on the list when it comes to talking about major issues in the city of Buffalo. Uh, Tammy is a professional. She's in tech. And we obviously, when it comes to first women in tech, there's a, a shortage. You go down a little bit further when it comes to uh, women of color. In tech, it's even smaller. And then uh, here in the city of Buffalo, it's even smaller. Plus, Tammy has a personal story of grief that we want to get into here as well, um, something that uh, uh, I think a lot of folks will find uh, enlightening as well. We'll get into that. But, Tammy, first, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure, and it's a pleasure to get to know you and your story because it is a remarkable story that, as I just mentioned in the open, it takes us in a lot of different directions. And let's just talk about professionally, first and foremost, and your work with Kubrick. Yes. Tell me what is Kubrick. Kubrick is a research and development company. It's a not-for-profit uh, started back in 1983, uh, came out of CalSpan and UB, um, and we do a lot of work with government contracts. Probably 90, 95% of the work we do is with government contracts, so it's a pretty cool place to work. Um, we're, we're a smaller company, you know, um, but we, we do a lot of innovative work, um, advanced through technology is, is our tagline, so um, Yeah. You got that wind tunnel out there, right? We do. We have a massive wind tunnel in the back of our facility, which is right across the street from the um, Buffalo International Airport on Genesee Street. 
Um, there's some actual construction going on back there right now. They're they're making that building even more advanced. So yeah, more to come in that area. We got clients coming in there with uh, some consistency. Yeah. You can only tell me so much. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, but it's interesting. How did you find your way into this aspect of the working world? Well, uh, back in 1999, I worked for CalSpan. And so I knew about Kubrick from that, you know, working for CalSpan. Uh, I worked for CalSpan for about eight years total. I was there for three, then I left for a few, and then went back. And um, I worked with a government contract for NHTSA, which is the National Highway Safety Transportation Administration. Um, did work on that contract for the entire time that I was there. Um, very, very interesting work. Helps to um, laws and things of that nature came out of that work. And still, still that work still goes on. Not so much, you know, with CalSpan, but, you know, the government still does the research accident research and things of that nature. So, you know, Tammy, we've got you here for about 35 minutes. So we're going to out a lot of elements of your of your background here. But you're in tech. You're at the high end of <laughs> tech right now. You came out of performing arts in yes. the city of Buffalo. So that wasn't necessarily the trajectory that you were on. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Uh, I am a proud alumni of Buffalo Performing Arts. Uh, from from class of 1990. <laughs> you outed that, not me. <laughs> I'm very proud that this is my, you know, I'll be 50 in just a couple of weeks. I'm I'm proud to say that, yeah. I was I'm, proud about that 11 yeah, years ago myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's a blessing to live that long. But yeah, I, I you know, performing arts really gave me the ability to kind of come out of a shell. Um, and I still sort of prefer to be in the background, but um, it it gave me, you know, the confidence to speak, and that was important for me. So um, now the work that I do, uh, I do a little bit of everything as a project administrator at Kubrick. Um, I do some marketing stuff, some HR stuff, some support to the project managers and the program managers, and I work directly under our CIO. So um, having the ability to communicate on various levels with different people, including government, um, you know, I feel like performing arts was the, the, the foundation for the ability to go out and do that because before that I was very shy. Sure. I, at the same time, though, it is interesting to say, okay, here are the arts, and we've got people singing and painting yeah. and dancing <laughs> and all that, and now here you are, Working with all, and maybe you're not necessarily engineering these these projects, but you have to have an understanding of it. And I, I'm just again back to it. How how did that all kind of merge together for you? And, and I guess the other question is, how well has it merged for you? Is it something that you you found yourself having an understanding of, or did you really have to apply yourself in a certain way to to catch up? A little bit of both, and I, I think that the arts and STEM are not so far apart. Interesting. Okay. You know, I think you, the create creativity for technology to develop and create to see a problem and want to solve it through technology is not so different from wanting to be creative if you're doing art or theater you know you're you see a goal and you figure out how to get there and you're just using different skill sets I guess to do that um, I really got here through just sheer luck or okay. blessings, I should say. Um, again, I started at CalSpan basically as a temp. And someone took notice of me and said, you know, you have a lot of talent and what do you want to do? And I went from a temp and I was offered a role and, and then that role led to several other roles. Um, I was able to move up and I liked the work. Um, and that's kind of where it all began, just understanding how collecting data impacts our lives. Um, and that's what we were doing. We were collecting data. And it was, at that time, life-saving data. You know, I worked on projects that really changed how cars are even made and what the requirements are for them as far as safety is concerned. Um, and that really set well with me. So it's interesting. 
a lesson that, as you were telling your story, you know, those temp jobs. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know if we've all had them. I've had more than a few, that's for sure. Um, the idea that when you're on the, that job, it's as much an audition as it is something that's just going to help give you a paycheck uh, from week to week. Yeah, and to be honest with you, Jay, I was doing that to help supplement my income because I had a, I was actually in school for mental health counseling at the time, and I was working for child and family services in a residential care facility overnights. So Mm. I had a young child. She was going to school. I think at that time she was at Catholic school, and I, I really needed the extra income. So I went there as a temp during the day while she was in school. While you're working from nine all night? To t- from <laughs> 9 to 2, yeah, crazy. And I've kind of always been like that, always kind of had more than one job. So Yeah, and I want to get into some of your, your side in uh, jobs as well because, not jobs, you have your own companies as well, and those <laughs> yeah. are most certainly interesting. But I want to stay on this idea about tech and the types of people that find their way into tech, and mm-hmm. we both agree that you know, not enough women in tech. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, the same from kids in the city of Buffalo, you know, uh, kids of uh, uh, children of color. Yes. Um, not enough, and most certainly probably not enough women in there. What about that? What, where do you see the disconnect? How is it? Is it, is it something that's coming on in the school? Is it, is it a, a societal imagery that people are following or not following? What do, what do you think? I don't think it's one thing. I think there are layers, but I do think um, the more we can get out to the kids earlier, um, and I do believe the Buffalo Public Schools are now working on having that starting way earlier. It's a part of the curriculum. I know uh, Dr. Tanja's working very hard at keeping STEM at the forefront so that we can catch up because we're way behind as far as um, the Western world. Um, Definitely in the city of Buffalo, we haven't exposed a lot of our African-American children to the opportunities and and shown them that it's not something that they can't do. Uh, I think we need to get more role models involved, get more companies involved, and our company is involved in several initiatives. Um, but I do. Do you think ever go out and talk to kids? Uh, yeah, sure. Oh, okay. I do. Um, I'm actually attending an event. It's it's not um, it's college level, but we do more at the college level right now. But uh, my goal is to start doing more with younger children. So. Um, I, I have the blessing of our CIO to start getting involved, you know, in areas like that so that children can see that there is so much opportunity for, you know, uh, them in the tech. And there's so many different directions you can go in, you know, if you have a desire, even, you know, creating the, the parallels between arts and STEM. Um, working on things like that is important if we're going to kind of help our community get uh, more acclimated to where we're heading as a society in technology. I mean, AI drives everything. You know, um, my my daughter right now is working on her cybersecurity um, certification because she even notices that, you know, it's a good direction to go into. So, you know, we really have to get the opportunities out in front of the children earlier and show them how it works. And let's just be honest, all these kids come out now knowing how to use the technology. That's true. We just need to show them how to build and how to work it and how, you know, solving problems with technology is really where we need to head. It's interesting, again, thinking back to your days at performing arts, did you see, and we we talk about this with, with folks on the show a lot, seeing people who look like me doing this type of work. What about for you? Did you have role models in that regard or you were just following your own path and you knew you had to work hard? I and mean, what, what was the thought there? What do you, as you reflect back? Do you mean, do it, did I see people like me in technology yeah, at the time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it you was know, 30 years ago, but you know. No. Yeah. And to be honest with you, I still don't. I still don't see very many African-American women who are PMPs. I don't see very many. I see women are increasing. We are multiplying in technology faster than men, 
but it's not African-American women. And so we see a lot of foreigners coming here. They go to school. They get the education. And they're definitely, they're outpacing us. Um, and that's, that's, you know, like other things, that's, it's, it's a sad reality that, you know, it's up to us to start working to change that. Our guest uh, this morning uh, on uh, Buffalo What's Next, Tammy Simon-Balden, uh, talking about a lot of different things with, with Tammy here. She's got a great story, great stories, elements to her <laughs> to her, her, her life here. Um, it's also interesting, you know, you've know, touched upon those days when you were working the two jobs and uh, raising a child as well. Um, you, you got into tech with CalSpan a little bit. Great recession hits. Yep. Um, you didn't exactly sit on the sidelines. No, I still, I, at the time, I was uh, in Duville's business management program. So I was going to school part-time, and I also had a daughter who was in Catholic school. And I had to figure out what to do. So I, you know, most of my life I'd cleaned for people as sort of like a under the table helping, you know, my grandmother's friends and stuff out. So I started a cleaning service in 2009. Um, and, uh, that kind of did pretty well keeping it together. Um, it's still going on, right? Well, that one actually, I, I left Buffalo in 2012 okay. for a little while. So I closed that particular business down. Um, but when I returned to Buffalo in 2014, um, about a couple years later, it was about three years later, I ended up starting another cleaning company and it's Kept Together Cleaning LLC. And that's still in. So from 2017, it's what, 2022? Yeah, that's right. Yep. <laughs> so from 2009 to 2012-ish, right. the first one ran. And so the, the company continues on. Yes. You have how many people working with you? There are five of us. Wow. And this is a side business. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is, yes, it is um, my side, one of my side businesses, yes. Right. It's Well, let's talk about the other side business. And this one is a, a little more a, more relatively new, right? Yeah. So TAS Solutions LLC. Uh, TAS stands for my name, my maiden name. <laughs> um, and that is more administrative and consulting services. Um, I do a little bit of, you know, invoicing for people, creating documentation. Uh, sometimes people come to me for, you know, advice or direction where, where um, starting the business is concerned. So I've helped with things like that, and, and that's the vehicle I use for that work. It's interesting, as you start saying LLC, you've said it now twice on the back end of <laughs> two businesses, and it tires me out by the time you get to it. It, it sounds like it's too much. But what about, uh, how was that process for you? Uh, how, did, how, did that, how did that spark within, inside you? And uh, I mean, what was it like to achieve getting an LLC? I mean, we've, we've had other people on here talk about that, but we haven't really gotten to the nitty-gritty of that because, again, you know, I, you know, I know how it is just doing my taxes and how much I just want to just oh. walk away midway through it, let alone try to, you know, establish a, a legal entity as a business in New York State. You know, I have the the blessing of great leadership under my pastor, Michael Chapman. Um, he's the pastor, the leader of St. John Baptist Church down 184 Goodell Street. Uh, he has encouraged a lot of youth and young adults to take the path of an LLC. Um, he's encouraged us to become business owners. And with that encouragement, he provided, you know, some names and some contacts. So I got in touch with an attorney um, and I told him what I wanted to do. And I worked with him and he helped me establish the LLC. He continues to provide, you know, support when I need it as far as, you know, there are things you have to do annually or biannually to keep that going. I also have a great accountant who does that work. It's really about keeping the connections with the people who are going to help you because you cannot do it all by yourself. There's a lesson right there, right? I mean, cause Absolutely. It, because I think uh, it's a, the, the approach most people have, right, that, that they're going to have to 
do it themselves to get this all going. But you're saying, yeah, you've got to generate the, the energy, but... The energy, the effort, the drive, the intent, all of that has to come from you. But uh, it really does, you're not going to have the expertise in everything and like any other team, um, if you're not a one person does it all type of company, you're going to need to get the right people around you. Um, and, and that can be a challenge too, finding the right support. So networking for me is really important. I have conversations with other business owners all the time. Uh, had one this morning with a, a gentleman that has a lot more experience in the industry than I do because sometimes you need someone else to help you out with something. So I believe there's enough food for all of us to eat. And we, uh, you know, I foster a, you know, it takes a village type of mentality um, instead of something where we're all cramming against one another. That's a nice way of looking at it. Absolutely. Uh, credit to Reverend, Reverend Chapman for uh, trying to get this out to uh, his congregation. A lot of people follow you on that? Where a lot of people work with you side by side, or you're kind of a lone wolf going through that? Oh, no. Uh, there is a, a business and leadership development program that runs and operates out of our campus as well. Um, so there were several of us who've gone through that. I'm, I'm not currently active, but I went through the program, was a part of the program. There's plenty, plenty of us who've gone through that process um, who are benef uh, beneficiaries of that mindset. When we were talking just coming up here, you, you, you made mention, we didn't get a chance to really follow up on it, but I wanna, you, you talked about you know, the lessons from your your mother and your your grandmother and your mm -hmm. your your aunts. Um, when you look at the type of effort they did in raising you and your family members, w could this have been a path for them? This idea of starting their own business and oh, absolutely! Yeah? Every single woman who helped to raise me, and it did take every single woman. My mother, my grandmothers my aunts, my great aunts, cousins, um, I can look at each of them right now and tell you the business they could manage if they wanted to. My mom is a great, great cook. She's also a great, uh, she does uh, crocheting. She's made all types of things. She's also great with books and accounting stuff. Uh, my aunt, her older sister, is an excellent baker. Um, you know, she also has helped me tremendously with learning things about cleaning. And, um, you know, I've just had my grandmother worked for the state. My mom worked for the state. Uh, my great aunts worked for the state. They all had tremendous drive when... It came to providing and and sustaining, and every one of them taught us, you know, ownership. You know, own your home if you can, save some money if you can. Um, very much so. I think that you know, I am the product of the women who came before me. Our guest uh, this morning is Tammy Simon uh, Balden. We're going to take a break on Buffalo What's Next. A lot more to come in this conversation. Tammy uh, is uh, going to share a little bit of uh, personal history about grief and uh, how she's uh, overcoming it as well and some other issues as well. That's coming up next. Stick with us. This is Buffalo What's Next on WBFO. Donations come in many forms. A sustaining membership, a one-time gift, even that extra vehicle you no longer need. Learn more about the advantages of donating a vehicle. Here's how. Go to WNED.org slash vehicles. Not sure what you want to watch tonight? We've got you covered. Visit WNED.org slash TV schedule to see what's on WNED PBS, WNED Create, and WNED PBS Kids. Click the primetime button to see what's on tonight. You can also search for your favorite programs in the search bar or look for programs by date and time. Visit WNED.org slash TV schedule and start making your viewing plans now. 
get all the trusted local news you need right to your inbox each weekday morning with the WBFO daily email. Visit WBFO.org to sign up today. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. And back on Buffalo What's Next, I'm Jay Moran being joined uh, by Tammy Simon-Balden. Uh, this morning, Tammy, of course, has uh, been going through uh, an interesting professional career, one that I think is quite instructive uh, for folks here in the city of Buffalo as well. I think for just about anybody, really, uh, to, to hear how you've uh, adapted and, and found your way into so many different areas. But um, the one thing we did want to get into here, and um, I'll try not to take you through too deeply here, but um, earlier this year, you lost your husband. Yes, I. Uh, my husband passed away in January. Uh, very difficult. It's been, uh, um, an interesting and challenging transition to go from planning the rest of your life with someone who you genuinely feel like you can spend the rest of your life with to figuring out how to move forward without that person. Um, the one thing I can truly say is that we lived our lives well while we had the time and that definitely helps I don't feel like we left anything on the table what was your husband's name his name was Ivan tell me about him Ivan uh, (laughs) also a very hard worker Hmm. Uh, he was a correctional officer he was also a vet uh, he served in the Navy when he was younger, and then he served his community by being a correctional officer for 25 years. He um, also had his own landscaping business for about 20 years. So uh, he was you know, retired from corrections, but he still did landscaping for the last several years. So, yeah, very hard worker great dad, loved his children. His children were the apple of his eye. Uh, really family-oriented man. Um, and I was blessed to meet him on a blind date. <laughs> <laughs> so that's another success story. So friends of ours who knew each other kind of said, Hey, you two might be a good date, you know, and I, I told him and I tell people all the time, I feel like we were still dating seven years later. Oh, that's nice. Uh, his passing, was it sudden or? Yeah, unfortunately, um, COVID and prostate mm. cancer, mm. the combination of the two. I know that you have a lot to, when you mentioned COVID, you have a lot to talk about in terms of the pandemic, some thoughts about how that has weighed on yourself and on, on your community as well. What do you have to say? I really feel like the pandemic forced the world to slow down and look at what was really important. Um, I know it did for for us, and we'd planned to get married in 2020, and a lot of people were like, but it's the pandemic. Are you still going to do it? And We pivoted from our original plan and said that we can't let the world and what's happening outside dictate what what we feel is, you know, we have to keep living, so to speak, until we can anymore. And so I I actually got married during the pandemic, got married in 2020, and within two years, I'm now a widow. So this last few years has been... um, a very challenging time, but it's also, there's a story here. There's something I'm supposed to do in this last three years as part of the journey. How do you cope? Family, prayer, faith. 
I tell everybody if it wasn't for faith, I don't know what I would do. Um, and even that, you know, I've, I've, usually that's enough. I come from a family of strong, resilient women who are used to just pushing through and, you know, you just keep going and it, it knocked me down. I've, I've struggled some, to be honest. And, um, I think being transparent about that for, for myself, first of all, and saying I need help, um, saying, you know, I'm praying and I'm reading my Bible and that's not quite getting me to where I I am feeling like I'm totally okay and having to reach out and get help from, you know, family, friends, uh, you know, the medical industry. You have to do what makes sense for you to keep going. Interesting to hear the way you're talking right there because since May 14th, we most certainly have mm. heard mm. about the need for mental health experts and, and counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, how about for you? Like you said, you've got to do it your own way. What, 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 which, uh, have you taken professional paths as well? Have you absolutely. Re- yeah? I, I, absolutely. I, I see someone so that I can talk through the process, the grief. Um, you know, you don't, go through something like this without it impacting every area of your life. It's just not possible. Um, And you, you know, the challenge is not to suck the life out of the people around you because Mm -hmm. you feel so overwhelmed and sad and angry and you go through all of these emotions and you know that it's not just you feeling those things. Everybody's feeling those things, you know, in their own way. So I knew, you know, myself being someone who was a counselor, the value of having someone to talk through these things with. So, yes, I see someone um, who helps me kind of just get through it. You really have to feel your feelings (laughs) i know i have a friend and she's she's also she's my she's she's my one of my best friends and she always says it's okay to feel your feelings and she's absolutely right you have to if you stuff them they could come back later and cause more problems or people try to medicate or you know do all kinds of things that can be unhealthy um just accepting them and then you know she gives me tools to use to help me through them. You know, I enjoy spending time with my family. I enjoy traveling. I enjoy a good movie. You know, I like to write. Um, I'm working on that right now, writing. Um, I've Sometimes I go back to the one little devotional. I've, I've already written one. So I read that again and remember what I was going through then. And I've always come out on the other side and I I feel like the lesson my husband taught me was to live every day as if it's my last day give everybody the attention that I can without sacrificing the attention that I need for myself these sessions that you have uh, with this professional how do you it's been less than a year so this is still obviously very fresh um do you go in at, at different levels? I mean, some days you go in and think, I'm not going to need to do this anymore. And then you oh, walk yeah. out and you feel the exact opposite. How does that work? Oh, yeah. So there are times when you take a break because you think you're doing a little better. And then you crash and you mm. have to call back and say, yep, I need another session. Um, it's It can be, you know, with mental health, um, with depression, grief, things like that. You're, it's, a, it's an up and down some days you're you're great and you're okay. Well, I shouldn't say great. Some days you're okay. <laughs> um, and you know what? Great is okay because some days I am high off of the good stuff that we experienced together and I'm smiling, remembering it. And then other days that same thought mm-hmm. takes me out of it and I just cry. Um, but, yeah, I go in and we discuss You know, whatever it is that maybe I had homework that I needed to do 
or maybe I just come in and I sort of throw up in her in her lap with all the stress of what I'm currently facing. You know, she's really just, you know, she's there to help me with where I'm at when I walk in the door. And would you advise anybody who's going through things? I mean, we hear a, a lot of folks who are going through grief over 514. I know you have um, some connections to 514 as well, um, but a lot of the community has that, yes. doesn't it? Uh, what, do, you have a, do you encourage people to do the same? I do. I, I, I really, for me and for most people, having a safe space to discuss whatever you're dealing with, with someone who has no skin in the game, um, makes a big difference because most of us just need to acknowledge the feelings that we're going through, the stress. We need a place to let that out. And we need to know that it's okay to let that out, that you're not crazy, you're not whatever you're, whatever you're dealing with. You have a right to feel those feelings. And like I said, I think holding things in can be detrimental to your mental and emotional stability. So whatever way that you can find to get it out, and everybody's way is different. I'm not saying that you have to talk to a therapist. Maybe you draw. Maybe I have family members who sing, who create, and that's the way they create poetry or they're crafting. Whatever you can do that can help you to feel those feelings and get them out and acknowledge them so that you can move forward, you know, that, that's how we grow. That's how we get, get through and come out on the other side. Coming down to our final couple of minutes here with uh, Tammy Simon Baldwin. One other part of your history that I'm, I'm intrigued about, you, you moved away for a while. You went to Richmond, Virginia. I did. And what's, uh, what's life like for a, a young lady from uh, who grew up um, in Buffalo? She's black and she moves to Richmond, Virginia. What was life like for you? I, I really enjoyed Richmond. Richmond, um, and I, I'll say the DMV because you're really close to D.C., you're close to Maryland. Okay. You've got, you, you know, within an hour or two, you could be in Maryland, you could be in D.C., you could be in North Carolina. And I loved that part of being able to move around so freely and see different things and enjoy different things. And the community was very different. Okay. Um, uh, you know, the mindset was different, I feel like, there compared to here. We definitely, there was definitely um, more advanced African Americans, more opportunities for African Americans. It wasn't uncommon to see more African Americans and people of color doing well. And encouraging and helping others to do the same. Um, very, a uh, lot of families. Um, and I, I think uh, in the South that happens a little bit more anyway. So it was a very uh, interesting time in my life and I enjoyed it. And I often think that might be the direction I take when I hmm. retire. And I'd be closer to my daughter who lives in Charlotte as well. I'm not sure if we want to let you go, Tammy. So <laughs> we might have a little fight on that one. I'll always be a Buffalonian. Speaking of which, my final question then for you. What does Buffalo need? What does Buffalo need? I mean, you're a thinker. You're Maybe I threw this one out of left field to you, but what, what do you think Buffalo needs? We need more people who are willing to work together. Um, there's too much, well, I, I, I feel like we could do a better job of collaboration, encouragement, mentoring, um, partnerships with one another. And I do see it's happening. So hopefully we'll, we'll keep doing that and we'll keep growing and attracting talent and, and growing and developing talent that that stays or at least gives back to the community that they came from. Tammy Simon Baldwin, 
what a pleasure. Thank you very much for sharing with us today. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. Absolute pleasure. Uh, this has been Buffalo What's Next. I want to thank Talia Rodriguez, who was on earlier with Thomas O'Neill White, and my guest, Tammy Simon Baldwin. We're back with you again tomorrow at 10 o'clock right here on your NPR station, WBFO and WBFO HD1, Buffalo, WOLN Olean, and WBJ Jamestown. 